Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. We're going to be in Romans 15, verses 8 through 33. And I'm going to ask you a question I've been asking you for a few weeks now since we've been in this last section of Romans. What if God himself told you what you were here to do. Isn't that a question we all struggle with at times? What am I here to do? What is my purpose? What is my calling? What is your will for me, God? What is it that you want me to do? And maybe we ask, what if it were as easy as as sitting down and just writing it out in black and white? This is why I'm here. I think sometimes as believers we get too caught up in, in good questions. Where? How? Who, in terms of God's calling and God's purpose in our lives, those are important questions to find out and to seek out in God's wisdom. But sometimes we get so caught up in the where and the who and the how that we forget the basic question of what. What is it that God has called us to do? Not necessarily how or where or to whom or with whom, but what has he called us to do? And if you remember back when Pastor Zane transitioned us into this section of Romans, we began with that great statement, present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. And since then we've been asking, what does that look like to live as a living sacrifice to God? Well, it looks like serving his people in the church, being here, plugging in, serving, using your gift, loving God's people, loving all people, even loving your enemies. It means submitting in humility and love to one another, even when it might not be comfortable for us to do so. We've been looking at those simple questions, and isn't that simple? What does God want me to do? Worship him. Be a living sacrifice to him. Serve his people. Love his people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the simple black and white things, the what of what God wants you to do with your life. And last week, we sort of came into this theme, looking to Jesus, who is our prime example. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came and humbled himself for us. And so if we're going to look anywhere for an example, a template, a model of what we're supposed to be doing, look no further than to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the rest of today's chapter and the rest of this section of Romans will lead us to do. We will look at the length to which Jesus went to serve us. We'll see that same pattern in the Apostle Paul, and then we must ask, what does it mean for me? As I focus on the what of God's call, what he's called me to do, to serve, to love, to submit, to humble myself, then maybe we can ask where and how and with whom and to whom and how far and to what extent and what will the cost for me be? Let's look at Romans chapter 15 beginning in verse 8. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing of your name. 
And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power and signs and wonders and the Holy Spirit of God, so that all from Jerusalem and all the way around to Lycurium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, and since I have longed for years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ." I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul begins in verse 8 with that familiar biblical word, for. Now remember, we look at those biblical words, therefore and for, and it tells us what we're going, uh, where we're going, where we've been, how we're building on that. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. As we looked two weeks ago at the liberty of the Christian, how to use our liberty in love with one another and in service to one another, we ended with that wonderful idea back in chapter 15, verse 7, that we should welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And so Paul says, do you need an example of how to welcome each other into the body of Christ? Look no further than to Jesus. And then we pick up in verse 8, for Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. This all points us to number one today, our one hope in Christ. Remember a couple weeks ago talking about our liberty and our freedom as Christians, and I said, if we say with our mouths, I'm not going to serve them, I'm not going to do this for them, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do this, and I asked you the question, can you put those words in Jesus' mouth? And the answer, of course, is no. 
Because Jesus welcomed all. Jesus came for all. And today we see Jesus became a servant for all. Look there beginning in verse 8. Jesus became a servant to the circumcised. This is Paul's way of saying the Jews. But Jesus also became a servant for the Gentiles. Look at verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Jesus came to the Jews. Paul goes to the Jews first. The gospel came to the Jews first. For theirs were the promises, theirs was the worship, theirs were the covenants. That's what Paul has told us in Romans chapter 9. It came to them first. It came for them first. And Paul says the same thing here. Jesus came to be a servant to the circumcised, to the Jews. To do what? To confirm, verse 8, the promises given to the patriarchs. And what is the chief among those promises that God gave to the patriarchs except Genesis chapter 12, verse 3? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. But what was the ultimate part of that promise to Abraham? And in you, all the families, in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so Paul says, yes, Jesus came to fulfill his promises to the Jews, to Israel. But what was the core of those promises except to be a blessing to all nations? And that leads Paul into verse 9. He also came to find the glory of God in the Gentiles. We just sang about this. He who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake, becamest poor. And there is the extent to which Jesus came and to which Jesus went to serve his people and to serve the Gentiles. This is the eternal Son of God. John chapter 1, verse 3. The one who created all things. And without whom nothing that exists now would have existed. In him was life and that life was the light of men. And this is the very one, verse 8, who became a servant for his people. Who became a servant for the Gentiles. Israel, the Jews, would have been left scratching their head for the Gentiles. God, maybe some of the Jewish hearers of Paul still unconvinced by Romans chapter 9 through 11 would have been wondering these promises are for the Gentiles too and Paul says yes verse 9 as it is written therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles verse 10 rejoice O Gentiles verse 11 praise the Lord all you Gentiles verse 12 even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him the Gentiles hope yes Israel even them even the Gentiles. And Paul strings together these lists of quotations. Watch this. From 2 Samuel, from the Psalms, from Deuteronomy, from Isaiah. And if you remember how your Old Testament is laid out in those categories, Paul quoting from the law and the history. Paul quoting from the prophets. Paul quoting from the poetry and the prophecy, the writings Paul quoting across the array of these Old Testament categories to show what? That the entire story has always been about this. Beyond just the Jews, beyond just Israel, even yes to the Gentiles. That's been the story, that's been the promise all along. One people, one hope, one Savior. And it's the goal of all that Paul has been writing. Verse 13, he says, may the God of this hope... He says in verse 12, in him will the Gentiles hope. Verse 13, may the God of this hope 
fill you with all joy and peace. How? By believing. And may the Holy Spirit make you abound in hope. One gospel, one salvation, one people, one hope, one Savior, Jesus Christ. And the blessings of that hope are joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Well, let's not pass over something here. Back in verse 8, Jesus became a servant to the Jews, to the Gentiles. But that's the key word. He became a servant. And so if we go back to chapter 12, verse 1, and ask the same question, what does God want me to do? To be a living sacrifice, to love his people, to serve his people, to love my neighbor. How do I do that? Well, look at Jesus who became a servant, and you become a servant. And what was the extent of Jesus' service? What was the extent to which he went to serve us? We did this a couple weeks ago, but it bears repeating. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, and Paul says, Have this same mind among you which was yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count that equality with God as something to be grasped or selfishly hung on to. Verse 7, but made himself nothing, literally emptied himself. How did he empty himself? By taking the form of a servant and being found in the likeness of men, he humbled himself. To what extent did he humble himself? To the point of death. What kind of death? Even the death of the cross. This is how far our Savior emptied himself to the point of death. And at that, the death on a cross. Death in the place of ruined sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, remember that wonderful theme verse. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One might venture to die for a good person, if such a person existed. But... God shows his love for us in that while we were still his enemies, while we were still rebels against him and his law, while we were still disobedient and unbelieving and hard-hearted, and I could go on and on, blind and deaf and dead in our sins, even then, Christ Jesus died for sinners. To what extent did Jesus go to love us and to serve us? He emptied himself. He became a man. He died, and he died a death on the cross. We should begin thinking, shouldn't we? If Jesus is our example, if Jesus is the template, if Jesus is the model, even to the point of death, what should be the extent of our obedience? What should be the extent of our service and of our love towards others here in this church, outside the walls of this church, our neighbors, our friends, our family, even our enemies? What should be the extent of our service? So we talk about these wonderful themes in Advent, hope and love. All the promises that God gave us in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. All the promises that we're yet waiting on in the second advent of Jesus Christ. As we point to his birth in Bethlehem, as we see his crucifixion on Calvary, and we wait his second coming in the clouds of glory, this was the direction all along. Jesus came to serve so that we might have hope. Jesus came to serve so that we might have love. Jesus came to serve so that we might have joy. Jesus came to serve so that we might have peace. And with every lighting of this candle, we remember the inbreaking of that light into the darkness of our world and our sin and our death. Hope, love, joy, peace in Christ. But how did it come? He became 
a servant. And yet we would refuse to serve our church family. When things are asked of us, when we're given the opportunity to serve, you have every opportunity to plug in and to be here and to serve and to love. We don't. We would refuse to love our neighbors, not just those who live next door to us, but sometimes even those who live next door to us or behind us or in front of us. Anybody we come in contact with, we refuse to serve and to love our neighbors. How about the world? All that that we see on the news and in social media, and we say that's them, that's those people. And yet we refuse to serve them, even though Jesus came to serve us. And we close off our homes, and we close off our pocketbooks, and we close off our hearts and our lives, even to believers. We need to remember the cost of this hope and joy and peace and love in Christ. It was the death of the Son of God. We need to remember and to revisit our claims of hope in Christ. If we claim to have our hope in Christ, and we claim to know him and to love him and to follow him, doesn't it stand to reason that we will serve and love as he did? And doesn't it stand to reason that if we're not willing to love and serve as he did, then maybe we don't know him at all? Here's the thing. If you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, that love... And that humility and that service ought to be there in you too. To remember, just as I was welcomed as a sinner into the household of God as his child, his son, his daughter, I should welcome others into my heart, into my home, into my life. This hope must be shared. It can't help but be shared. So as we consider the hope and the love of Advent these first two weeks, the question for us is, do I know that hope in Christ? And if I do know that hope in Christ, am I sharing that hope in Christ? Next question would be, what is standing in the way of that? If the answer is no, pastor, I don't know that hope, or no, I'm not sharing that hope, what's standing in the way of it? Well, first of all, to know the hope of Christ, you must come to him in faith and repentance. It's not enough to know the stories. It's not enough even to acknowledge the stories are true. You must embrace that for yourself and place your faith and trust in Jesus, acknowledging that you're a sinner, acknowledging that you need him, and coming to him in faith. Know that hope for yourself, and then share that hope. And then the question will be, what is preventing you from sharing that hope? What is it about your priorities? What is it about your schedule? What is it about your life and your budget? What is it about your whole passions and your affections that is keeping you from sharing that hope with others? Let's consider next one call. These next set of verses. Paul, thinking about this hope, thinking about this joy and peace and the Holy Spirit, he thinks about the Roman Christians in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. As Paul begins to give thanks to God, And he begins to ask us to think about how we can be of service to other people. He thinks about the Roman believers and the good report he's heard from them. And he praises them and he thanks God for them. But verse 15, he acknowledges that there's been some correction. On some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God. 
And he says, verse 16, this is to be a minister of Christ, Jesus, to the Gentiles in the priestly service of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not just a bunch of religious jargon for Paul. You hear what he's saying for these people. I've heard good things about you. I write to commend you. I write to encourage you. There has been some admonition in terms of the Jews and the Gentiles and getting along and their liberty and all that stuff and the service and humility and serving to others that we've talked about the last few weeks. Paul says, here's why I do that. Here's why Paul says in a pastoral way, I come with encouragement, but I also come with a little admonition. And I say things boldly to you by way of reminder. Paul says, verse 16, because I have a priestly service to you. And that priestly service is to prepare this sacrifice so that it might be acceptable to God, set apart and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And if you're paying attention to what Paul is saying, he's picturing the priesthood of the Old Testament. That as the people would bring their offering to God, as the people bring their offering to the tabernacle or to the temple, it was inspected by the priests. It was prepared by the priest so that it might come to God and be acceptable and be a pleasing aroma in his nose. And Paul says, that's exactly what I'm doing for you, Gentiles. That's exactly what I'm doing for you, Jewish believers. I'm preparing you to be an acceptable, pleasing sacrifice to God. And how does Paul say we're doing? We're not talking about inspecting lambs and bulls and goats and doves. We're talking about preparing a people to give themselves to God, chapter 12, verse 1, as a living sacrifice. What does that examination look like? What does that preparation look like? Look like? It looks like what we're doing today. It looks like what Paul was doing. Teaching the word of God. Encouraging, sometimes correcting, sometimes reproving, sometimes being comforting, sometimes being harsh. So that this people might be prepared to give themselves to God just as those sacrifices in the Old Testament were prepared to be burned to God. As we think about what Paul was doing then, maybe we should think about what he's doing in us. Paul, with his apostolic pastoral authority, doing this priestly service for the gospel of God so that their offering might be acceptable, he's doing it by the word of God. And I'll ask you today, even though I'm not an apostle, we're reading the words of Paul the apostle. I'm not an apostle, but as far as we preach and teach the Bible correctly, this is an apostolic ministry because this is an apostolic faith. And so the same thing that Paul was doing there, we are doing today. Preparing you through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. When it's nice and comforting and pleasing, when it's harsh and cutting and convicting, preparing you to give yourselves to God more fully each and every single day. Paul says that's what I came to do. Paul says that's what the word came to do. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is inspired, breathed out by God, and it's profitable. That means it's useful. Useful for what? For reproof, teaching, correction, and training in righteousness. And what's the goal of this, Paul? Verse 17, that the man of God, namely Paul's talking to Timothy, this preacher, that he might be equipped to do what God has called him to do. But it's not any less a promise for you. That in the preaching and the teaching and the study and the reading of the word of God, It's useful for reproof, correction, training, encouragement, so that you may be complete and ready to give yourselves to God. 
Sometimes it comes in like a hammer. Sometimes it comes in like a sword. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active like a two-edged sword, piercing down to the division of our very spirits and souls and hearts and minds. For what reason? We sing that song, Old Church Arise, and we talk about the sword that makes the wounded whole. This weapon that God wields in his word makes us whole, makes us more like Christ. And Paul says, that's my service to you, Romans. And that's why we read the Bible. That's why we teach the Bible. That's why we preach the Bible, because God is preparing us through these apostolic words to give ourselves more fully to him. What does this call look like in Paul's life? Verses 17 through 19. In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of you, of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power and signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Ilycurium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. This is what it looks like for Paul. Yes, the teaching. Yes, the signs. Yes, the wonders. The missionary journeys that Paul went on by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wherever and however God called Paul, Paul obeyed and Paul went. And we have to read between the lines here a little bit, don't we? Because we have to understand what this cost Paul. If you turn just a few books over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. I just want to read you what it cost Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. shipwrecked. Night and a day I was adrift at the sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from these other things, there is the daily pressure on me with the anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and am I not indignant? Do you hear the sufferings of Paul? Have you experienced any of those things? Probably not to the extent that Paul has. And for many of those things, we've never experienced them. And yet it was willing, Paul was willing, to suffer all those things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul got into this knowing that he must suffer for the cause of Christ. He knew the extent to which God was calling him to serve and to give himself. And he says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 that he counts it joy to suffer these things with Christ because he's fulfilling in himself in this way the very ministry of the suffering of Christ. Not that he's adding to Christ's suffering, but that Paul says, I rejoice because I'm fellowshipping with Christ in his suffering for his people, the church. And Paul says, therefore, I am glad to do it. In all the shipwrecks and the stonings and the beatings and the persecution and the imprisonment, and yes, even later in his life, his own execution, Paul says, I gladly submit myself to this for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Christ. And Paul says, I'm willing to do this in comfortable places and in uncomfortable places. Verse 20, 
And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, quoting from Isaiah, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Paul says, I'm willing to suffer all things and I'm willing to go anywhere, even where Jesus is not known for the sake of the gospel. And isn't that the story all along? Think about Jesus. Jesus was sent by the Father. Was he not? Even as the Father has sent me. Paul was sent by God. That's what the word apostle means, one who is sent. And what is the end of Jesus' statement there? Just as the Father has sent me, I send you. Paul, Peter, James, John, you in this room today, just as Jesus was sent, just as Paul was sent, you have been sent. And so if you ask the question, at what cost, to what extent, What danger, what trouble, what persecution, what death? The Spirit of God might very well be saying yes to all. Jesus was sent. See the extent to which he served. Paul was sent. See the extent to which Paul served. Let me tell you some of the hard times we have as Christians. Forget suffering and persecution and, 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 and hunger and thirst and exhaustion. Forget the sleepless nights and the anxiety that Paul talks about. Here's some of the things we struggle with as Christians. Talking to people in Sunday school. Going to Sunday school. <laughs> Sitting across the pew from someone and speaking to them, praying for them, encouraging them. We have a hard time giving even the smallest portion of ourselves to serve. We have a hard time sharing the gospel at all, at work, at school, with our friends, with our family. My prayer for us today would be that God would fill us, just as Paul said, with his spirit and with his power to know this call and to know that this call is also for us. It's not the same as Jesus' call. It's not the same as Paul's call and the how and the when and the where. But the what is the same. To proclaim the good news of God. To proclaim the gospel of God. And to call people to faith and repentance. And I got good news for you today. If you say, I can't do it. I don't, know, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Think about this. Even Jesus was empowered for his task by the Holy Spirit. Paul was empowered by the Holy Spirit for his task. Look back at verses 18 and 19. I will not venture to speak of anything except, watch this, what Christ has accomplished through me. How, verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. How am I supposed to do this, pastor? How am I supposed to serve? How am I supposed to know where to start? By the powerful working of God, working it through you in Christ. By the powerful working of God, working it in you. By the power and the person of his Holy Spirit. Paul says the same thing in Colossians 1.29. I love love this verse because it it just pictures this perfectly. Paul says, I toil. I work. You've got to do this. You've got to obey. You've got to be here. You've got to serve. Paul says, I toil. We toil. But how do we toil? 
with all of his energy that he powerfully works within us. Jesus accomplishes this by his spirit. Paul was just a useful vessel in the hand of a great God. And so the question for you today is, how can I yield myself to God as the potter? How can I yield myself as the clay to be molded? Romans chapter 12, verse 2, not conformed or molded into the image of the world. But Romans 8, 29, conformed or molded into the shape and the likeness of Jesus Christ. By the renewal of our minds, to worship God, to know his will, to hope in him. So we might know this call for ourselves to serve, to love, to submit, to go in his name and with his power. And to proclaim Jesus, maybe even to those who have never heard the name of Jesus. Some of you know right now, some, some of you know right now exactly what I'm talking about. That's the way the Spirit works, isn't it? As I talk about these areas where God wants to perfect us and make us more like Jesus, isn't it wonderful how the Holy Spirit, even right now as I'm preaching to you, is bringing names and faces to mind. He's bringing situations to mind. He's bringing those open doors to mind that maybe you've ignored for a long time. And maybe today is the day he's saying, go do it. Go share, go proclaim with this hope and with this one call. Lastly, today we have one goal. We have one goal. Paul, Paul wants to go where Jesus is not known. And he says in verse 22, this is the reason why I've been hindered from coming to you. Paul says, this is providentially why I've not been able to come to Rome yet. I want to go where Jesus is not named I want to know where Jesus is not known. It would be nice to come to you, Roman Christians, but you already know the gospel. So I rejoice with you. I hope to see you in passing, but I've got bigger work to do where Jesus is not known, even to the ends of the earth. And to him, that would have been Spain. Even to Spain, Paul says, verse 23. Now, since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, Jesus is already proclaimed there. Since I've longed for years to come to you, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in their material blessings. Paul says, I want to go where Jesus is not named. I hope to come to see you, but my mission is beyond that, to go where Jesus is not known. But right now, we have this interesting little uh, inclusion here. I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, why is Paul going to Jerusalem? We have an account of this in Acts. You don't have to turn there. Just follow on the screen. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Paul says to the Ephesians, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained, look at that word, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
But I do not account my life as any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Isn't that interesting? We have that little historical narrative there of Paul's going to Jerusalem. And here in the book of Romans, we have that found just in this normal conversation with the Romans. I'm going to Jerusalem, as it were, Paul says, into the unknown. I don't know what awaits me there. Probably not good things, imprisonment, persecution, unbelievers. I know what they're going to do to me. And most of us would look at that if we knew. We'd say, nope, that'd be enough for us to go back off and do something else. I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. And so often we find ourselves ashamed of the gospel. Maybe it's the social ramifications in our, our friends, our family, our jobs, our schools. Maybe it's the social ramifications or the political junk that might come at us because of our faith in Christ. And so we shrink back. We hold our tongues. Our boldness dies. Not so with Paul. Paul knows. Paul suspects what will happen to him, and he obeys anyway. Why? Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Why? Because Paul did not account his life as anything, except that he might be faithful to proclaim the gospel. Paul knows what probably awaits him. And here's a spoiler. It does await him. And the book of Acts ends with him under arrest from Jerusalem on his way back to Rome to appeal his case before Caesar. But here's an interesting thing. He says, I am constrained by the Spirit. I am constrained by the Spirit. Look here in Romans chapter 15, verses 30 through 32. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, verse 31, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I might come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul says, I want you to pray for me for these unbelievers. I know what might await me. Persecution, imprisonment, maybe even death, Paul says. And I want you to pray with me for these unbelievers. Hey, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Yeah, Paul knows that there might be suffering. Paul knows there might be persecution. But he doesn't say, oh, don't pray for me. Never mind me. Yeah, Paul counts his life as nothing except to be of service to the gospel of Jesus. But he still says, I want you to pray for me. So even in our sufferings and our persecution and our trials, it's not a sin to ask people to pray for that. Pray that it goes away. Pray that God heals me. Pray that God takes it away. But whatever the case, pray that God uses it for the sake of his gospel. In Acts 21, 11, a prophet by the name of Agabus comes to Paul and he binds his hands and he says, so will you be bound in Jerusalem. And Paul goes anyway. And it's an interesting play on words. Agabus says, you will be bound by the Jews in Jerusalem. Paul says, I don't care because I'm already bound by the Holy Spirit to obey. And Paul says, let the binding come. Let the torture and the persecution and the arrest come. Paul is bound by the Spirit more than he is bound by man. He knows the hope of Jesus. He knows his call and he knows his goal to obey God and to proclaim Jesus. And so Paul says, Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, whatever happens to me, it happens to advance the gospel. I'm afraid that many Christians don't know this kind of conviction. 
to say, I don't care what they say about me. I don't care what they do to me. Acts chapter 5, verse 29, I'm going to obey God rather than men. I don't know too many Christians who would say, I don't care how they bind me, I'm bound by the Spirit. I don't care if they kill me, I've been crucified with Christ already. I don't care if they persecute me. I don't care if they arrest me because I have the promises that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword separate us from the love of Christ? Down in verse 38, no, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And with that conviction and that promise and that certainty, we say, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to give myself to God. I'm going to follow him. And so my simple plea for us today is just that. Let that be your goal. Let God be your goal. So that you might know what he says in chapter 15, verse 33. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Do you know your call? Believer today, do you know your mission? If you have Jesus as your hope and Jesus as your goal, you know the call. To give yourself to him in service. To give yourself to him in love. How? However. When? Whenever. Who? Whoever. Fulfilling the basic question of what? Proclaiming the gospel of God. Let God open the doors. Let God give you the direction. Are you willing today to at least start there. I want to impress on you today the so what nature of these past few weeks. So what? All of the theology, all of the doctrine of chapters 1 through 11, they come to a head here in chapters 12 through 16 with that question, so what? What do I do with all that deep doctrine and theology and the gospel The promises of God, justification by faith alone in Christ alone. The one people, the one promise, the one story. What do I do with this? Chapter 12 through 16 comes in and says, well, put hands and feet to it. Good doctrine. Listen, good doctrine, good theology, good Bible knowledge. Those are all wonderful. Those are absolute musts, but they mean nothing without the so what. And Paul says, this is what the so what is here of the gospel. If you know the gospel, if you have the gospel, if you have that hope, go with that hope to those who do not know it. And if you want to know to what extent, any extent, how far did it take Jesus? How far did it take Paul? How far did it take the apostles? How far did it take the martyrs throughout church history to love, to serve the body of Christ, to love and to serve our neighbors, even our enemies, with one hope in Christ, 
with one call to proclaim Christ, and with one goal, the glory of Christ. This is the mission of God's people. Listen, this is your mission. You say, I believe. Yes, I believe the gospel. I believe Jesus. The question for us this morning is, where are the feet? Where are those beautiful feet of the gospel going to proclaim the good news? Are you going? Are you loving? Are you serving this mission? Our God and our Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And I ask today that as we consider his mission, and we see the mission of the Apostle Paul, you might help us to ask today, what is my mission? To give ourselves to you, to serve the body of Christ, to love people, to love our enemies, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And then God, fill us with your Holy Spirit, the boldness and the courage to go and do it to proclaim the good news of Jesus to those who do not know you and to live like we know him. God, fill us with that knowledge. Fill us with your spirit. God, if there's anyone in here today who does not know Jesus in a saving way, I ask that you would pierce their heart even right now by your gospel. Draw them to faith and repentance in Jesus and give them the same hope and the same call and the same goal, the great glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, in all things we give you glory and honor and praise and worship. Have your way in us and work in us by your Holy Spirit through the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. Also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.